Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerzday, May 9th, 2022. On the show today, news, listener questions, plus I ride Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, and then special guest star Christina Harrison tells us the latest on food in Walt Disney World. And in our main segment, Jim tells us about all the influence that the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kids had on Disney theme parks. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that if he had a dollar for every time he didn't know what was going on, he'd be like, why do I have all this money? It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Nancy and I were literally just talking about this exact same topic, that as a now 63-year-old man, the only thing I am confident in these days is how little I actually know. I mean, I have these huge gaps in my knowledge when, when it comes to, well, everything. But the upside is I'm actually comfortable with telling people, you know, I don't know about that, but not yet anyway. So the beauty of living in the information age is if you, if you know where to look and you're willing to dig, you can actually learn about virtually anything and and i my friend have a black belt when it comes to google <laughs> i don't i don't need to know it i just need to know where to look <laughs> no that's it exactly i mean give me two yeah. hours and, and a topic and i can come back yeah. with an informed opinion on on anything from how to change your motor oil to the the subtle nuances of sumerian pottery <laughs> So, you know, look, uh, seriously, Len, ignorance can be a virtue if you're willing to embrace the idea of not knowing about a topic means you now have something new to learn. And yeah, that's what I true. love about yeah. this age. You can, you, you can, it's down the Wikipedia rabbit, rabbit hole, as the kids say, right? Oh, there you go. All right. And we have a special guest on the show today, Christina Harrison, the Ooh. in-park Walt Disney World researcher for touring plans. Mm -hmm. Welcome back, Christina. Hello. Thanks for having me. Glad for you to be here. All right, folks, before we get started, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Linda C., Shannon Valley, and BKNY530. Jim, I think that's the bus I take to get into Manhattan. <laughs> also, longtime subscribers, Jimmy Hunt, RP Dexter, and Stro 8 Jim, these are the Disney Imagineers trying to explain to their finance folks that getting the papyrus-pounding animatronic in Spaceship Earth to print menus for the new Connections Cafe, while environmentally friendly, just won't scale. And anyway, the dude keeps sneaking roasted Nile crocodile with Libni into the appetizers, which is not good. True story. Oh, again, I <laughs> learned so much on this show. So. Wait, Leonard, when was the last time you were on a public bus that was not Disney? Honestly. Uh, it's, been the, it's been in the last five years. That's it's been the last three years. Lies. Public, oh, no. Public bus in the, within the last year. Public bus. Yes. You were on a public bus. I was on a public bus. I'm yes. going to need a and, photograph or it didn't happen. <laughs> and and uh, how it happened was I was going back to Florida from New York uh, and the Long Island Railroad was uh, not moving between Jamaica and JFK. So, I, uh, But they provided bus service. Public yeah, bus nonetheless. Public. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Just wondered. And with that, we're going to move on to the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, Disney has released yet another set of concept art for Epcot's Future World redo. And I've posted that in the show notes. Among the changes since the last set of concept art, was released in 2019. Uh, Jim, it looks like the Festival Center is now a single-story building instead of three-plus stories. Things are tough all over, Jim. This art just dropped in the last 24, so I have calls into the corporate events folks who had promised this venue to multiple mm -hmm. convention groups that were coming to the park starting in 2024. So what sort of make good? Yeah, remember that island in the sky where you're going to be able to drink above the public and you'll look down at all the little people. It's like, well, you're going to be on the ground with them. Yes. <laughs> the thing that, uh, so a couple of other things. Um, there's really not a lot of actual building going on here. There's the small festival stage mm -hmm. that's over in the general area of where Club Cool used to be. Mm -hmm. But that's about it. I mean, and maybe that's a good thing, right? Yeah. The folks who are operating Epcot 
are like, you're killing us. The center of this park has been torn up for what, two plus years at this point. And yeah. we constantly get complaints from guests about how they have to walk around everything to get over to World Showcase to buy their yeah. $7 appetizers. So it's like, look, you have to get this open. and Be done, right? Yeah. yeah. And this is the quickest fix to that. But this is the quickest path to all of our future neighborhoods are open or world discovery, world, whatever. Yeah. Here we are. We're done. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so go, go. Walk to the front. Enjoy the show. Chrissy, have you seen this uh, concept art? I have. I've been looking at it all morning. Okay, so let me ask you this question. If you needed a pictorial representation of what the meaning of the word non-committal <laughs> was, is, is that this picture, this concept art? It's like, we, we are not going to commit to anything permanent here. There is nothing in this concept art that couldn't be demolished overnight with a Home Depot bulldozer rental. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a good summary. You just uproot some trees. Yeah, like these trees could all be gone tomorrow and, and we could restart. Or or it could be like this and people could say this is what we meant all along, yes, right? that's true. There we go. Jim, uh, while you're asking your uh, Disney insiders for information about this, I'd like to see if they would confirm or deny the fact that it's now called Communicore because they already had half the signs made. Could you check on that? <laughs> Also, Jim, if you want to, if you want to really put them on a spot after mm-hmm. asking them about what they think about the Reedy Creek Improvement District, mm-hmm. if you could say, "Hey, why doesn't the artwork show the harmonious barges <laughs> in World Showcase Lagoon?" <laughs> Jim, I think this is a part of the conversation when they start doing the la la la, not listening, la, 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 going through a tunnel. <laughs> yeah, there we go. You'd be like, "Dude, we're sitting. I'm sitting across from you at a picnic table. You're not going through a tunnel. I can see you right now." <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Break it up. Bad reception. <laughs> I didn't notice the lack of the Autobots, but you're right. I'm looking at the art right there. Are no Autobots. Does that mean they're going away? I, I think this I think this is what we call projection in, in no. the psychology world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of lot there's a lot there's a lot unsaid in this artwork absolutely, is what I'm saying. Absolutely. We are, we are, if you know, if, if this was, <laughs> this is basically the equivalent of Vermeer's a girl with a pearl earring, right? You can read into this what you want because oh. there's a lot that's unsaid. Oh, in it's very much a piece so. of concept. Very yeah, much so. so. All right, Jim, in, uh, in other news, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind will use a virtual queue when it opens later this month. And speaking of Guardians of the Galaxy, Jim, I got to write it on Saturday. So um, they've been making this ride for five years, right? It, it was uh, originally announced in 2017. Um, mm-hmm. The premise of Guardians of the Galaxy is that it's Epcot's newest world showcase pavilion with a twist, right? The twist is that you're not visiting another country. You're visiting mm-hmm. another planet. In this case, it's Xandar. Right? So you start your interplanetary voyage. At the Guardians of the Galaxy building, your Epcot's front entrance. This is in uh, World Discovery, right? Am I getting that right? Mm -hmm. World Discovery? World Discovery. By the way, the fact that uh, Epcot is laid out south to north means that it was only last year when I figured out which one was future World East and which one was future (laughs) World West. And I think Disney did me a disservice by then changing the names of everything. Glenn, you can always leave the trail of breadcrumbs. It works so well <laughs> exactly. for hands on Gretel. <laughs> I, I, you know, I was using the LEDs that were in the sidewalk, and then those are oh. gone too. Oh, well. there we go. All right. Go. So, um, uh, so just for from a uh, from an operational perspective, if you're mm-hmm. going into the building and you're using the standby queue, you're going to go to the left. If you're using Lightning Lane, you're going to go to the right. Obviously, the Lightning Lane is going to bypass a ton of the pre-show. None of the pre-show. Uh, that you're missing is relevant for the story. But if you do go through the, mm-hmm. um, I did, I did uh, a couple of rides on each side. Once you walk into the building, you're in the, the main queue area, the standby line. And Jim, it, it looks a lot like test track or dinosaur. So imagine gently curving upward walkways, sort of like test track, same sort of mm-hmm. like dark, dark purplish bluish sort of schemes. In this case, you're walking past display items like you mm-hmm. do at Test Track or like at Dinosaur. Uh, in this mm-hmm. case, it's sort of like the history of Xandar, the people, and so on. And then farther along, it's, you know, they introduce you to like, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy characters. The queue is immense, Jim. Uh, I, I would love to see what the Guardians of the Galaxy air conditioning bill is going to be for that. 
<laughs> and you know, then there's some high tech items in there. But but if for you and I to walk in, you know, it's mm-hmm. like this is test track, this is dinosaur, and that's kind of the theme that I'm going to be coming back to for this. So my mm-hmm. first ride through, I definitely had a different experience than the second ride through, and we'll talk about the second ride through after we do the first, right? Um, okay. So you go through the, uh, the standby queue, and because there was no one in front of us, uh, we had the initial preview slot. There were very few people ahead of us. Mm-hmm. We managed to walk through the entire attraction. I will say that the ride mixes in different holding rooms from like straight queue areas. Kind of like, you know how like a dinosaur where you go through the queue and you go past the model display dinosaur, and then you're in the little room with the uh, Felicia, Felicia Rashad video. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that where it's like Q, Q, Q. Okay, here's a room where something happens. More Q, mm-hmm. room that something happens. Eventually, you end up in the last, the last room. And at this point, the actual purpose of the ride is revealed to you. So um, again, you're supposed to be going to Xandar on a tourist trip. You get to the last room, and this is the, uh, this is the place where the, the explanation of the ride comes to you. And in... in Everyone who's been on a Disney ride in the last 10 years will understand the trope that they're using here. And that is, and then something went wrong. There we go. In this mm-hmm. case, um, the person who delivers the news that something went wrong is Terry Crews. Really? Yeah. Not only is it Terry Crews, but after seeing Terry's performance here, I want mm-hmm. Terry to break all the bad news to me. Like <laughs> ship sinking in the Atlantic, Terry Crews needs to be on CNN. A giant asteroid hurtling towards Earth. I want the last voice that I want to hear is Terry Crews breaking that news to me. Like, uh, I think that's exactly how, how this should happen. Also, Terry's only two days older than me. I just noticed that. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Terry Crews, phenomenal job of acting. And he's only there from the shoulders up. I don't know what it, uh, um, if it costs extra to get Mr. Crews' entire body <laughs> in the shot. I don't know who negotiated that deal for him, but I would have liked to have seen, you know, full body Terry Crews there. But again, that they probably didn't have the budget for. But anyway, Terry breaks the news to you that um, something's been stolen and we need to get it back. They, they, mm-hmm. He calls the Guardians of the Galaxy and we then join the Guardians on this trip to recover said stolen item. So we walk down another hallway and then we're in the load area where you actually see the ride vehicles. And this is a fairly impressive area, Jim. If you're familiar with the entrance to Space Mountain in Disneyland, the actual ride setting there where you've got ride vehicles, I believe there's ride vehicles on both sides or you're like going down the middle. Mm -hmm. It's a setup like that. So it's uh, five cars, 20 people per car Mm -hmm. uh, loading two at a time. So just as a a quick side uh, note here. One of the people that was in my preview with me was a, uh, a friend named uh, Tommy Hawkins, came over from the mm-hmm. UK. Tommy calculated based on our time on the ride and then the mm-hmm. cycle load time that uh, Guardians can hit like 25 to 2800 riders an hour if everything's going right. And that's, mm-hmm. that's impressive for, for a modern Disney ride. That's, that's Pirates of the Caribbean mm-hmm. level of things. So, so very good there. Okay, so you get on the ride. And the ride begins. The ride itself is is a good three minutes long, which for roller coasters, Jim, is is impressive. That is, yeah. The main new thing on this ride is, mm-hmm. uh, well, there are two things, right? There's a backward launch sequence, um, mm-hmm. and then there's the ride vehicles themselves spin. Of the mm-hmm. two, the thing that's much more interesting is the fact that the ride vehicles can spin. The backward okay. launch, Jim... Mm-hmm. I, I'm telling you, if, if you go on that and if you've been on any other Disney ride, especially if you've mm-hmm. been on Expedition Everest, the backward mm-hmm. launch is literally Expedition Everest. It's the, it's the exact same sensation, the exact same feel. I think it's the exact same duration as well. Mm-hmm. It is the backward launch okay. from mm-hmm. Expedition Everest. But the thing that impressed me was in the first big showroom, Disney um, manages to tilt and rotate the ride vehicle so that it actually feels like you're in space. Like the first time through it, not going to lie, I said, mm-hmm. wow, out loud. It was, that, mm-hmm. it was that good. First impression of it, excellent. And then it's sort of like, you know, you're chasing things through the galaxy. There's some dialogue that's going on. It's very hard to hear over the music. I didn't get any of it. Okay. But there's some, there's some good, good ride effects. Um, for me, the mm-hmm. ride sensation was... A cross between Space Mountain and Rock and Roller Coaster, like with with spinning seats. So imagine that in terms of 
intensity and okay. turning. So there's no upside down loops. There's no inversions, right? It's a standard Disney thrill ride in, in that respect. There are some tight turns. There are more visuals than in uh, either Space Mountain or in Rock and Roller Coaster, but not so many that you're distracted. Like, you know, there are screens that show videos and stuff like that, but a lot of it goes by so fast that you don't really notice it. It's sort of, it's not even secondary to the ride itself. It's sort of like a tertiary thing. I would say the the ride experience itself is is the primary thing you're going to focus on. The second mm-hmm. thing you're going to notice is the background music. And the times I rode, we got um, Iran by Flock of Seagulls, uh, September by um, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Blondie's One Way or Another. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so that's the thing you'll notice. And then the third thing you'll notice is the, the stuff that's going on in the screens. There's the, again, there's the uh, background audio for whatever the guardians are saying as they're mm-hmm. chasing this thing through the, through the I didn't, I didn't get any of it. It's just, it's too loud to, to hear all of it. Um, but the ride is fairly long. I, I think from start to stop, like not counting, you know, the parts where you actually coast in to the, mm-hmm. to the actual exit area, it's around two minutes and 45 seconds, which again, for a roller coaster is a long time. That was good. Very long. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. you, you get out. There's a, a shop. wasn't open for previews, so I didn't get to see any of the treasures of Xandar that might mm-hmm. be available. Um, and then you walk out and you're sort of back near Mission Space. Hmm. So my second ride through, and I, th- I thought it was good. So a couple of a couple of things too. Um, the ride definitely made me queasy, not in mm-hmm. a um, Star Tours way. Like if I ride Star Tours, that's the last thing I'm doing for that day. Or if I'm mm-hmm. going on Mission Space uh, Orange. That's the last thing I'm doing for that day. And I'm going to need like a Coke and to sit down mm-hmm. when I'm done to sort of like get myself mm-hmm. back together. This wasn't that bad. It was like, like when I get off of Everest sometimes or when I get off of like teacups and I'm feeling a mm-hmm. little bit woozy, but I can do something else afterwards. It was sort of like mm-hmm. that. And I spoke to a few people who had the exact same experience, like in a family of four, one person mm-hmm. was fine. Two people mm-hmm. were like, yeah, I need to sit down and maybe, you know, maybe relax for a minute. And one person mm-hmm. was like, I'm done for the day. I'm going home. So that is something to watch. Um, okay. The second time through, though, Jim, mm-hmm. is when I started to figure out, like, what does this remind me of? So I mentioned mm-hmm. that the first part of the building mm-hmm. reminded me of Test Track and Dinosaur. Mm-hmm. And as you go through the ride, you can definitely see, like, okay, they got this part from this ride. So do you want to hear the spoiler parts? Sure. Sure. All right. Um, so I mentioned the test track dinosaur mm-hmm. thing. There's a point where um, Terry Crews is mm-hmm. telling you you need to do something to transport yourself to Xandar. And mm-hmm. the spiel is, uh, Jim, everyone needs to move to the center of the room. Don't touch the walls. Mm-hmm. Right. And what does that sound like to you? The uh, Oh, man. The, the, why am I remembering this? Damn it. It's uh, it's is this room actually stretching? Oh, there we go. Yeah. There we go. Haunted it's, Mansion. So, okay, so, yeah. You know, walking through, I'm like, okay, this is the stretching mm-hmm. room, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a gimmick in that room that is directly from Fr- Flight of Passage. The load areas from Space Mountain. The backward launches from Expedition Everest. The ride through is from Rock and Roller Coaster. You, you and I, Jim, will go through and say, this is where this idea came from. This is where that idea came from. So it's sort of like a casserole. Of um, different <laughs> different ride ideas. Welcome to Monday evening. You know, just like, <laughs> exactly. Everything we had over the weekend. But face it, when you were at Disney and you, you're spending how much on this ride? You know, you and I have both heard numbers well north of three at this point. Yeah, yeah, it's and a lot of money. What you just mentioned about Mr. Hawkins determining the hourly capacity. You know, when you want something to deliver those sorts of numbers, and you lean into what you know or what's tried and true, because you you want to deliver those sorts of numbers but yeah i'm a little disappointed that maybe some of this is that familiar that you can walk through god and treat it like you know like well i got that baseball card and i got that baseball card i mean it's funny because walking in and again i'm a i'm for stuff like this i my default mode is Mm -hmm. is cynicism which is horrible Mm -hmm. and i try and work around it right but you know i walked in thinking that the plot was going to be and then something went wrong and mm-hmm. then my, my only question was, how are they going to handle it from there? The thing that they steal from Haunted Mansion and the thing that they steal from Flood of Passage, no lie, first time through, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, that's a cool effect. And the reason why I mentioned it is it was great once. The second time mm-hmm. was like, okay, I've seen this, you know, I've seen this three other parks. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. need to see this again. And, and then that's my concern, right? Would I wait 
four hours or three hours for the, or even two hours for this ride mm-hmm. knowing that? And I think the answer is no. It's a, it's a good ride. It's something that Epcot needs. Epcot needs the capacity. Um, oh, absolutely. Especially, absolutely. yeah, especially. Oh, so I, did, I didn't mention the fact that between my first ride and the second ride, the ride was down for an hour. so at one point in the day the ride Mm -hmm. had actually been down more than it had been up and we stayed in the queue because everyone else had Mm -hmm. left and we were right Mm -hmm. at the last boarding area if we were you know farther back or if i was like you know an hour away from that i would have i would have given up yeah so that's the uh, that's right i mean in terms of like coaster experience Mm -hmm. have you been on velocicoaster not yet i'm hoping this trip to finally get on it okay i think i think velocicoaster is the best coaster in central florida Guardians of the Galaxy is, is is not in the same class as that. It's just not a, it's not the same type of coaster experience in the way that Universal has mastered the physics and the ride experience. And Guardians is is not there yet. This is standard Disney ride experience with nothing nothing new, nothing smoother. No, like let's change the way we think about ride experiences on coasters. This is, you know, if you're familiar with Expedition Everest, if you're familiar with Rock and Roller Coaster, it's it's the same right there. Um, so no okay. new advances in, in technology there. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what I expected, mm-hmm. you know, from the ride. I wasn't like blown away. There was nothing there where I was, other than the couple of things where, you know, the first time through where I thought, okay, this, this scene is particularly well done where I said, wow, you know, the mm-hmm. second time through, I'm like, yeah, I got this. And I didn't need to ride it a third time. I wrote it just the third time just to make sure I could get the music. Um, mm-hmm. But let me contrast that with like Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, where, where I will mm-hmm. ride that every single time I'm in the park because mm-hmm. I think it's funny. There's always new stuff to see, um, mm-hmm. and I think it's a really well-done attraction. And that is not, by the way, Jim, a $350 million ride. No, it is not. All right. It so not. It's, it's fine for what it is. I have, as we already know, strong objections to putting this in Epcot. I think it should have been the mm-hmm. studios. But for teens, teens will love it. Mm-hmm. If they like Guardians of the Galaxy, they'll love it. I will say this. I think it's going to – Disney's already said it's going to open with boarding groups, right? Yeah. Not thrilled with that. Yeah. And I think – Based on the downtime that we saw today, I understand why they're starting it with boarding groups. Mm-hmm. But again, the internal numbers that we've seen around downtime mm-hmm. indicate that it's already more reliable than virtually every other thrill ride in Epcot. So I would expect that to last maybe four to six weeks mm-hmm. tops. You know, if they okay. get that under, if it, if it goes longer than four to six weeks, Jim, mm-hmm. then we're in a situation where the ride mechanisms are simply not reliable. And that, in that case, we'll be in a Rise of the Resistance or Remy's mm-hmm. Ratatouille Adventure scenario where something went wrong in the design or the translation of the design from manufacturer to Disney. And it's just not as reliable as they had thought. We'll see. The, um, my big concern is the spinning of the ride vehicles adds another layer of complexity to the ride. Like you, because it turns, you probably can't launch a ride vehicle if it's not in the correct position, mm-hmm. which means that the, that that is one more thing to go wrong. And I think that might, that might hurt um, reliability a little bit so we'll see but i think you know overall decent addition if i was going to give it uh, a stars on a scale from one to five i would probably say between four and four and a half if it wasn't mm. in the middle of future world like if this mm. was at the studios i'd say four and a half i'm going to okay. knock it down half a star because absolutely does not belong at epcot absolutely does not belong in future world the whole mm. the whole story about it being a world showcase pavilion that's just gaslighting by disney and they know mm. it um, so I'll give it four stars. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think everyone should do it. If you're, um, if you can't get a boarding group, you should try and get a board group. If you can't get a boarding group, individual lightning lane is the way to go. Once boarding groups mm-hmm. are done, you're going to have to get there first thing in the morning because it's going to be super crowded. I will say the queue is almost entirely indoors. Like mm-hmm. it, it should all be indoors. If the line is out the door, the wait's probably six hours and you shouldn't go on it at that point. Um, but you should, you know, indoors. I, I haven't seen the merch or anything like that. When you come out, mm-hmm. you'll be right next to Mission Space. So if you want to, if you want to try your luck there, going from one dizzying spinning ride to another dizzy spinning ride, oh Jim, mm-hmm. we should do that. Jim, we should drink <laughs> and then go on those two rides together just to see what happens. And by uh, see what happens, I mean how long until we get thrown out for throwing up on security guards. Yeah. Before we close out here, <laughs> I, I have to admit I'm going to be fascinated once we get on the other side of boarding uh, groups and that sort of thing. When you put on your Turing plans hat here about. Do you think this one's going to change the center of gravity for, for Epcot? About I think it will, simply it? because um, uh, of two things. One, mm-hmm. uh, the last thrill ride that was built in Epcot was Mission Space, which is now literally a generation ago, right? It's, okay. It's mm-hmm. 18 years, right? Almost. Yep. And the fact of that, they, that they put it so close to the entrance, and more mm-hmm. importantly, on the opposite side of the park of Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, 
means that teens and adults without kids uh, are going to go there first. Okay. Going to be fascinating to see what that that means to the rest of the park. Yeah. And that's the other big thing. Like, which rides wait times are going to be impacted the most by this? My my sense is it's going to be mission space. Uh, excellent point. And then maybe test track after that. We'll say. Thank you for literally running out of the park <laughs> to do this tonight. So uh, yeah, shout out to uh, to Christina who uh, was also there. Also, uh, I met uh, Steve from wdwmagic.com. It, oh, did you? I've been on that site for twenty some years. I've never met Steve. Met him today. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah, cool. Thanks to Tommy for coming out. Also, um, thanks to new friends that we invited. So Palomi and Shruti. Uh, we're there and also covering it uh, as well. So I had super fun uh, meeting everyone. It was great. I hope to do it all again real soon. Cool, cool. All right, Jim, let's get back to the show with a quick listener question from Sean. All right, Sean asks, Jim, have you heard when Magic Band Plus is going to roll out? And Jim, I'm putting this in because apparently it rolled out temporarily last weekend. Oh, it did. Yes. <laughs> you know, in, in fact, I, it was very interesting to watch the Disney company to the effect of, hi, could you bring those back? So just for our listeners who aren't up on this particular story, Disney released too early Magic Band Pluses for sale. And by too early, we mean the infrastructure is not in place to do all of the functional things that the Magic Band is supposed to do, yet Disney had somehow found them in a stock room and decided to sell them. When you go back behind the scenes at Target, they literally have things on boxes to the effect, do not open this before Tuesday. We can't yeah. put this on the shelf. And the not, not for sale until December 1st. Or no, and that's the idea that the Magic Band Plus, it's like literally the bar, I'll put them out. You know, oh, come on. We've got an empty <laughs> shelf. Go ahead. Who's going to care? <laughs> and it made the news uh, pretty much instantly. Chrissy, did you get a chance to see them? I no, I haven't seen them yet. I've seen them online, and I, I have to say, I'm not um, jazzed. There's there's functionality that hasn't been described yet that is supposed to be coming. We'll see. I do think it's interesting, Jim. The uh, the feedback that we're hearing from guests, which was like, oh, we're going to add these um, these features to the app, so you, uh, so we don't need to give you free Magic Bands anymore. And then, oh, here's a bunch of stuff that you can do in the parks, but now you need to buy the Magic Bands. Yeah. And while we're at it, let me just say, have you not been watching the Disney Corporation for the last 30 years? Because this is this is what they do. I get that. But it's just gotten so naked and obvious lately. You know, it's just sort of like, hey, do you have any extra money? Yeah. And then uh, Sean's other question. Have we heard anything about Hoop-dee-doo Review? Uh, Chrissy, you have some information on this, right? Yep. I was just at Fort Wilderness. You put us up at a luxurious cabin. Um, <laughs> Hoop-dee-doo. Tickets go back on sale. June 23rd. No, June 23rd is the first show back. Sorry about that. Reservations available May 26th. All right, Sean. So you got a couple of couple of weeks to get ready for that. Oh, yeah. I'm so happy to hear this is coming back. Yeah, I'm excited. All right, cool. All right. And then, uh, Chrissy, you have some news on food around Walt Disney World. Why don't we uh, talk about that? Yeah. So um, somebody, our oh, our friend Adrian, who suggested... The Blaze, the gluten-friendly Blaze pizza. Ah, um, right. Yes, yes. Yeah, right, right. Okay. So we had a, a whole bunch Wait, of- hold on. Like, sorry, pause here. Um, uh, since you are of Italian heritage and are about to talk about gluten-free pizza, do you need to do the sign of the cross before you actually start well, talking no. about this? I, I temper the lack of gluten with the gluten-filled to show the difference and also to not upset my- constitution yeah okay. you know the weird thing i have felt better since i have been trying all this gluten-friendly food no, like really I, for real wow. for real for real <laughs> there may be something to this folks okay you know of the so. of, of the four of us of, of the four of us children you're not the one that i would have thought would have been adopted <laughs> right we all said it was mike right it's our brother no mike. yeah but we've had the genetic testing you're you're locked in there's no getting out okay. um Darn it. All okay. right. Well, well, there goes that idea. All right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> too late. It's too far too late. I've done several places. So I've done quick service and I've done some table service. And wherever I go, I make sure I'm getting at least one gluten-friendly option. Okay. Okay. So I did order um, on my own because, you know, science, uh, the gluten tester. So I will be nerding out over that. Wait, to the, see. like a, a test tube type thing? No, it's like this little thingy like that you can carry with you so that you can test the gluten in food real time. Like to see how much gluten it actually like, has? Yeah, people with celiac can't have 
any. We actually have one of our agents has a new gluten, like a very bad gluten allergy. She has celiac disease. Cannot have any gluten. Wow. So yeah, so things that are gluten friendly, um, it implies that there is probably you know still some gluten. So I did order that. I will be digging into that in the next couple of weeks. But I've had some really great experiences and then some, there was only one that I would consider a fail. I'll just give you the quick highlights. All right. Give me the, uh, give me, where's, uh, what's really good for gluten-free or gluten-friendly? Ronto's, Ronto Roasters in the studios. Now, obviously Ronto Wrap is like one of the best foods ever and their overnight oats are spectacular. Overnight However, oats. However, okay. just amazing. It has star fruit. It has boba. Mm. The sugar one's not the tapioca. And it has berries, like whatever seasonal. It is filling. It is delicious. It is reasonably priced. It's gorgeous. Wonderful. And then, of course, the Ronto comes without the wrap. Still lovely. What I love about Ronto is a few things. When you order on the mobile app, then, of course, you you go up to the side. They had my gluten-friendly Ronto in a box. Oh. It was on a separate tray away from everything else. Okay? So wouldn't uh, no cross-contamination. Okay. But it was like next level, no cross-contamination. A separate, when I got up there and I said, they said, you know, your order's ready. And I went up to the counter and told them my number. Mm-hmm. A separate chef in a totally different color jacket came out, did not allow any of the other cast members because they had been handling all of the right. regular Ronta wraps. This chef is the one that handed me my tray. He got me my drink. Oh, it's like a clean room. Oh, it was as close as you can get in Disney. Holy cow. My, um, my oats were completely off to the side because, you know, they had that little prep station. Ronto's busy. Mm-hmm. Right. And they have all of the Ronto wraps stacked up and they have all of the oats and stuff stacked up. Mine was, um, even though all of the oats are gluten friendly, had mine separate. It had the little stick in it. Plus it had a sticker on it. And Ooh. the sticker was marked. So I asked about it and they, when they package it just to make sure like it's double checked back in the kitchen at Ronto's, at least this is the only place I saw the sticker. They double check and confirm, okay, this is the gluten friendly. And then they check off the little sticker inside the box. Ah, okay. Okay. Oh my gosh. It was this whole other process. So there's a couple of surprising things there. Um, number one, this is like a tiny counter service place in the Very back yeah. part of of Hollywood Studios. But for them to go through that much yep. effort for that is really is really something. It really says something about Disney's commitment to it. But the other thing that's the other thing that I would say is not surprising is Ronto Roasters is actually one of the highest rated um, counter service restaurants in the park. So they must be doing something because right. It's awesome. Yeah. They do good stuff there. Yeah, it has. And every time I see it now, I think of Jim because of the little dude. Not that he looks like Jim, but I know you guys talked about it. The little guy sitting there roasting the whatever it is. I always stand there because it's really funny yeah. backdrop. Anyway, excellent, amazing food. That was the highlight. Um, obviously, I love the food. The other highlight, uh, just for taste alone, it also was handled very well. Okay, was it Woody's lunchbox? Oh, what'd you have? The barbecue brisket. It is house. so it's good. That is a great sandwich. It has mm-hmm. cheese. Yeah. And the gluten-friendly bread is wonderful. So and that what is do they do for always, gluten-friendly bread? It's just different. It's usually a little chewier. It's usually much more dense, like at Topolino's. It's a lot heavier. It's not as fluffy. Okay, but does it go well with the – because the beef is sort of very rich. So, you, I mean, that might be okay. Oh, my God. It's amazing. It's my favorite. Now, I did have, so I did try some other places. I went to Artist Point, Storybook Dining, Artist Point, so that we could see the um, character interactions. The character interactions are probably the best. Artist Point. At character dining. Yeah. Yep. I I will sign off on that. Definitely the best. What'd you like about it? The queen is... The whole show. Like, (laughs) she just is. Like, she is so magnificent and frightening. And P.S., don't call her the Quicked Ween like I did. The Quicked Ween? You know, know, Quicked Ween, you know. (laughs) Um, Just the poses. I'll send you the poses that Gigi and our mother did. Like, she's the queen. She's the queen. You have to be summoned to her. Oh, really? 
Oh, if you call her the evil queen, she will give you the cape swirl, you know, and be off. Like she will dismiss you. You are done and you will not be allowed to take a picture. I don't think. Really? She's. That is cool. Yeah. Yeah. It. It, it, we, we've said it before on the show, but be, but being uh, one of the villains is probably the most fun job. Oh, absolutely. Oh. Right? Yeah. Sharp-witted. She was on it. Now, the food is expensive and not great, but that was fine. That was not, that was not the worst gluten-friendly experience, which is what we're talking about today. Okay. The only bad experience I had, because they, they were wonderful with serving it. They made sure, because it is family style, the appetizers mm-hmm. and the dessert, right? Mm-hmm. And then you order your entree. Very expensive. $60 a person, beautifully presented. The gluten-friendly stuff, again, separate server. They were very clear on making sure, like, you don't even share butter. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, yeah. Again, cross-contamination. Okay, fair. Yes. Same with Hollywood and Vine. Hollywood and Vine has done a very good job. They've expanded the, just the bread basket. Like, you don't realize those things. Like, yeah, the, they don't all the little things. Yeah. 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 Same with um, Liberty Tree. Liberty Tree is probably the best table service for gluten-friendly that I've had so far. How do they do stuffing at uh, Liberty Tree if you're gluten-free? It was. There was stuffing. It was very good. And the macaroni and cheese, I'll say it. Come for me if you want to. Macaroni and cheese, gluten-friendly, is better than the regular. Wow. All right. Yeah. Hands down. Okay. The one that was not cool, that was not good, was Satuli Canteen. Really? Again. One of the highest rated places in Walt Disney World. Yeah. Come for me. Wow. Um, okay. The I got a gluten-friendly beef and chicken. Okay. And we had, I hadn't been in an extremely long time. So uh, For you, that's I like a heard, week. <laughs> well, it, it was like a year. So oh, like okay. for that's, me. That's a really like, long time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I got several things, right? So there were three trays and the gluten friendly tray was white, okay. but nobody told me this is the gluten friendly thing. There were no sticks. There were no stickers. Um, it was all handled by the same cast member. Hmm. I had to ask like, where's the gluten friendly stuff? Oh, not so cool. it wasn't uh, so not only was it identi- wasn't it identified in writing, but you couldn't identify it by sight. I mean, I assumed, yeah, but, but you don't want to what if you have like a for real, for real allergy? Yeah, I'm just you're, you're doing not gonna, Yeah, you're not going to make assumptions. So you're you're going to want to know. I got to say, that's counterintuitive. I'm mean, thinking about it. Pandora, the world of Avatar, opened in May of 2017. If there's going to be mm-hmm. a restaurant on property that's going to be set up to handle gluten-free items, something built recently? Look at what yeah, we were just talking about work, the, yeah. you know, with Ronto's Roasters. Well, and you're right, Jim, and their kitchen is huge, mm-hmm. like huge compared. Yeah. So that was, maybe I caught them in an off day. I wonder like, if this is a training issue, not a kitchen issue. Uh... Ooh, that's interesting because literally everywhere I went was a, a teeny bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that was the only one that was lax. Literally everywhere else has been. I'll tell you what, let's, uh, let's, let's go, let's go sometime over the next week. And we'll do the exact same thing again. You and me and let's, uh, let's see what happens. Okay. Final note. And nobody wants to hear this pizza Rizzo, which is, I mean, solid, wonderful. I understand. <laughs> no notes. Like <laughs> I also, no notes. Also don't care. Fantastic job. Their gluten-friendly pizza is bigger. So to me, it's like a better value, but I love it all. So it doesn't matter. And they is did, it, is it they thick, did a really thicker, thinner? Like, how is it? It's thinner. Oh. Also at like um, Pinocchio's Village House, which you should, shouldn't go to anyway for any reason. Mm-hmm. But if you have to and your child is insisting, then the gluten-friendly is bigger than the standard. Oh, okay. That's also good to know. And then, uh, Chrissy, you've not mentioned uh, one gluten-free option that you and I both shared a couple weeks ago, which was the tomahawk steak at California Grill. <laughs> oh. A Was it 35-ounce, $155 steak? And Christy bought I this. I mean, that's, that's just numbers. That yeah, those are just, yeah. What is, what even is yeah. money? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This with Jim, yeah. this, uh, first of all, it's, it is a, it's spectacle mm-hmm. on a plate, right? Mm-hmm. It is, you know, like at the beginning of the Flintstones when they're in the drive-thru oh, yes. and the waitress brings out mm-hmm. like a rack of ribs that's taller than, this was that, mm-hmm. right? This is, yeah. this is, this was one of those, you know. It's more expensive. It fed Jim four people. It was one of the most delicious steaks I've ever had. At the end of it, mm-hmm. Chrissy and I were both taking bread mm-hmm. and dabbing it in the rendered fat 
from the tomahawk or the juices from the tomahawk steak that was on the cutting Amazing. board that they brought. And of course, we took photos of the giant tomahawk rib itself well, I outside because the things. Ask about that because it hit you were there with the 50th anniversary frame on the roof of the contemporary. And it's one of these things where, like, this is a thing. This is something they actually do. I mean, it's they like, let you do it. Not only, not only that, that Jim. Yeah. yeah. Not, not only that, but we, as we were carrying mm. this rib, through the contemporary because you got to go we were in the opposite end of the dining room had to walk through the dining room through the wine hall past the elevators there was a wedding reception going on in the back room and some of the people for the wedding reception were sort of milling about in the hallway and their first question was what is that and where do i get one and i'm sorry about your hors d'oeuvres yeah exactly (laughs) enjoy your pate steve top, sarah exactly we have to we have to give some credit because uh my food soulmate bethany vinton Mm -hmm. and i were together on saint patrick's day and we decided to go and revisit the 50th menu um, at the contemporary, which I had like mentally written off. I know Len has said the same thing and which is why I forced him to come after I went and Bethany and I ordered the tomahawk and our server was delighted. Like, I think they enjoy it almost as much as you do. Like they, you can hear them around you trying to convince other people. They're like, no, you really have to see it. It is, it is an event, like yes, just ordering thing. this It's an event for the kitchen. You're going to love it. It's delicious. You will have leftovers, which we did, and I took home and I ate. But Bethany had the idea. Now it was St. Patrick's Day, and you know maybe we'd been drinking since nine a.m. Whatever, whatever. To go and we had to commemorate this wonderful steak, and she grabbed the little frame and yeah, which you can you can pick up. It's 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 sitting, Jim, on an easel. Oh, you're allowed to. Right by the yeah, you're supposed to yeah. The, yeah. Does does that picture frame Jim now have uh, handprints made from uh, beef juice and rendered well, who fat? Doesn't? Uh, who doesn't? Okay, it's all part of the ambiance that there is the Walt Disney World 50th anniversary celebration. You guys are killing me. I mean, again, <laughs> it, Jim, it was a great steak. It was it was a really good, perfectly cooked too. I mean, again, for one hundred and fifty dollars, you one hundred fifty five dollars, you expect perfection. Absolutely, this absolutely. was this was really good. But, yeah, but really you know that because of Nancy being a snuggletarian, the only way I get pork <laughs> or beef is I have to convince Nancy that this pig or this cow has committed a capital crime. So before I can get in on some tomahawk action, I need a black Hanks's cow holding up a, a major bank. This cow? No, everyone hated him. No, it's <laughs> Cat was this just a jerk. There yeah. we go. He didn't tip well. Got, like he was got what was coming to him and then some. Exactly. Puppy, uh, a whole thing. Right. Exactly. Then if we have to sneak you, okay, look, you can rope drop the bar. We don't need a reservation. This way she won't look at your MDE and know what you're up to. Yeah, exactly. That you're sneaking we around. Sent her, we sent her to the spa, but doing like a late afternoon thing. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we have a podcast to record. I'm meeting Len and Chrissy. Let's, we'll rope drop the bar. We'll get the steak, yeah. go out, have the photo shoot, and then it's too late. Yeah, and we'll back you up, Jim. We'll be like, oh, no, no, he wasn't going to eat the steak, but then my f- I had a fork accident and it slipped <laughs> into his mouth. There we go. 12 times. <laughs> we'll figure it okay. out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, we got it. We'll, it's a plan. We have options, Jim. We Just have options. so long as he doesn't Absolutely. actually listen to this podcast, we're in the clear. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, your secret is safe with us. <laughs> They don't. And I even put it on Instagram and I was like, the podcast that the wives definitely don't listen to. And Laurel's like, no, I haven't. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't listen to this. See? Okay. Right. Yeah, you, We're you, safe. You, it's fine. Jim, the uh Jim, if you want to keep secrets from your wife, just say them here. <laughs> there we go. There we go. All right, folks. We're gonna take a quick commercial break when we come back. Jim explains how the movie Honey I Shrunk the Kids influenced so much inside the Disney theme parks. We'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp. You know what's ironic? A lot of us out there will drop everything to go help someone we care about. I mean, we'll go way out of our way to treat other people well. But how often do we give ourselves that same sort of treatment? Seriously. We all want to be there for friends and family. But but let's be honest here. You can't help those folks if you yourself aren't feeling mentally healthy. 
That's why BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter just as much as everyone else does. And if you feel the need for some self-care, well, BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. More to the point, BetterHelp is much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. So why not give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy? As I mentioned a moment ago, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, which is why Disney Dish listeners will get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Disney Dish. Again, that's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R, H-E-L-P dot com slash Disney Dish. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, Jim, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids at the Disney theme park. Now, I know about the movie, mm-hmm. right, starring the incomparable Rick Moranis. Yep, yep. And in fact, everybody crossed their fingers because shrunk the Josh Gad project, which is going to, uh, Rick Moranis has agreed to come back and play Wayne Zielinski again. Now, mind you, this project gets stalled out by COVID, as so many things did, but supposedly getting back in gear and you know, will make its appearance on, on Disney+. Plus. But again, that brings up the topic of Disney sequels. And in the past week or so, what with the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, there's been all this talk about Pirates of the Caribbean 6, the $22 million deal for Johnny to come back and be Captain Jack Sparrow again that got derailed when Amber put a lot of their private business out in public, which brings to mind this whole thing about Disney and sequels. People talk about Disney, oh, they make too many sequels these days, and Walt would never do that. And that's a lie. I mean, Disney Studios should make a lot of money, Len, of making a very specific type of gimmick comedy, one that involves some sort of a scientific breakthrough or an invention of a brand new technology that then was the jumping off point for all sorts of hijinks. Disney discovered this niche back in 19, uh, March of 1961 with the release of The Absent Professor. Was that the was that Flubber? Well, that's the thing. That was the thing that was invented for that film. Movie did so well that in less than two years, Disney had a sequel in theaters, which is Son of Flubber. And so Walt sees these two films back to back. He's like, okay, we need more of those. And he puts his creative team to work. Find me more science-based gimmick comedies. So February of 64, we get Misadventures of Merlin Jones. And then August of 65, we get a sequel to that, uh, The Monkey's Uncle. These aren't things that Disney are tossing off casually. I mean, all of the films I've, I've described were directed by Robert Stevenson, the very same guy who directed Mary Poppins, the biggest hit that the studio had in the 60s. Likewise, the two Flubber movies were written by Bill Walsh and Don DeGrady, same guys who did the screenplay for Poppins. So again, this is the A-team working on these things. Imagine how bad Son of Flubber would have been if they didn't have the A-team working on it. Uh, I mean, it is a gimmick comedy. Okay. And that's the thing. As long as you embrace that, it's very mechanical. It works. Now, mind you, Walt's death in December of 66 puts a pause on the studio's production of these science-based gimmick comedies. But starting in December of 69, with the release of the Computer War 10 issues, Disney gets back into this particular business line in a big way. We get Million Dollar Duck in June of 71. Now you see him, now you don't, in July of 72. Strongest man in the world in February 75. And Star Wars Arrival in May of 77 
makes Disney temporarily pivot from making these science-based gimmick comedies to trying their hand at really for real science fiction. Oh, And yes, these two very expensive films, 1979's Black Hole and 1982's Tron, visually impressive, but seriously lack story-wise. And as a direct result, when they came out of box office disappointments. And now this project, Len, I am so excited to talk about with you because I know this, this is like the Len Testo wheelhouse. (laughs) Go ahead. So it's March of 1984 and Ron Miller, who's in charge of Walt Disney predictions at the time is looking at all the money that raunchy teen comedies like Animal House and Porky's are making. And they've just started Touchstone Films at Disney Studios, which, which released its own uh, adult fantasy comedy Splash in March of that same year. So Ron is- All right, let me, let me just say that Porky's and Splash are not the same genre. They are not, but you got to remember, Disney's got to walk before it can run. Right. And Animal House and, and Animal House is a, is a classic American film, right? Disney actually made a, a movie that it tried to be Animal House. I want to say it got released. It went out to like three theaters. Uh, I think sure. it's called- up all night, but it actually has Stephen first. You may remember as, you know, one of the two pledges to animal house <laughs> as the star. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it is also, it's Pee Wee Herman's film debut. I mean, it's about a scavenger hunt a- across all of Los Angeles that takes place in one night. And again, it's Disney trying to make a raunchy teen comedy. And, and again, it's Disney, right. you know, their idea of raunchy is, Ooh, I said boob. Yeah. I stayed out past curfew. There you yeah. go. So. Yeah. So this was a period from like what? 77, 78. Yeah, right. Eighty four. Eighty four. Yeah. yeah. Because Stripes was Stripes was nineteen eighty one, and I consider that the pinnacle of uh, would, American cinematography. Uh, I'm not, not army kidding. training. You know, it's like <laughs> would they send us someplace special? <laughs> By the way, right, anyway. having actually served in the U.S. military, it's it's a documentary. Yeah, there, we a documentary. there we go. There we go. So, all right. So anyway, here we are. We have Ron Miller who's looking to revisit. Disney's history of making these science-based gimmick comedies only with a slight raunchy edge. So Ron Greenlight's a production of My Science Project, which has this really clever premise. It starts off in 47 with the the UFO crash at Roswell, New Mexico. And and President Eisenhower orders that the debris of the, the, the site be packed up and put where no one can find it. So we jumped to 1985, where high school senior Michael Harden needs something impressive to showcase his school science fair, or he will fail the class and not graduate with his class from high school. So, desperate for something, anything to showcase, Michael breaks into an Air Force boneyard, which which it is strongly insinuated, Len, is at Area 51. And, okay. you know, he comes across this weird glowing orb, which he runs off with once a guard comes around the corner. And so Michael then hooks this thing up to a car battery and offers it as, you guessed it, my science project. The only problem is that when when Hartland fires up this weird glowing orb, it then promptly rips a hole in space and time, which is how a T-Rex ends up in the gymnasium. Yeah, this is uh, this is different than a, uh, a uh, vinegar and baking soda volcano uh, spilling over a little bit, right? There we go. But the, the reason the reason you have to watch this movie is it features Dennis Hopper. He is actually the science teacher who sets this whole thing in motion. And there's a moment when he gets sucked into the orb. And at the end of the film, when he returns, he's in the exact same outfit. You're, you're teasing. I know what you're going to say. And you're teasing me if you if you don't say it. Go ahead. Easy Rider. He's dressed. Thank you. <laughs> and he's like, hey, man. <laughs> okay, that's kind of brilliant. Who who was producing this? Who was director? Uh, John Butel. Ah, oh, beautiful touch. Did you get some of the timeline stuff wrong? Roswell happened in July of forty-seven. Eisenhower didn't become the thirty-four president until January fifty-three. But look, the whole point of this film is screwing with the space-time continuum. So why quibble over a Wait, plot point? Yeah, uh, uh, you know, Eisenhower I think was still Supreme Allied Commander. Okay, there we go. You know, so maybe maybe it didn't go all the way up to the mm-hmm. to the president, but okay, Eisenhower was Eisenhower wasn't a nobody. There right? we go. Okay, there we go. Okay, okay. so anyway, unfortunately, my science project doesn't get the release it deserves. By the time it's finishing principal photography, 
Ron Miller is no longer the head of the Disney company. Michael Eisner is. And, uh, and Michael Eisner honestly doesn't know what to do with My Science Project. I mean, he, he's been in charge of Paramount Pictures. In fact, he had done comedies like Meatballs or, for that matter, uh, Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke and its sequel, Still Smoking. And it's one of these things. So he knew what a raunchy teen comedy was. And this thing that Disney had made was a Campbell. I mean, it was too raunchy or edgy uh, to go out under the Disney banner, but it was clearly nothing that would connect with teen audiences. And so Eisner's choice at that point was, okay, we do reshoots or we send this thing out as is. Mm. And Eisner's like, I got bigger problems. Yeah. I'm not going to throw good money after bad. And so it's it sent out into theaters as is in August of 85 underperforms at the box office. But Eisner, when he comes on the job in, in September of 84, he's doing his due diligence and he digs deep down into Disney's books and he, he's looking for previous films to do sequels to. And that's what he did over at Paramount. If, if they had a hit picture, like Saturday Night Live in December of 77 or Grease in July of 78, he immediately ordered a sequel developed, which is how we got Grease 2 in June of 82 and Staying Alive in July of 83. And yeah, well, yeah, I didn't say they were good mm. sequels. I just said they, <laughs> they were, were sequels. They were yes. sequels. All right. So anyway, Michael goes going through the books and notices that Disney has this history of producing science-based gimmick comedies. And so it's like Eisner puts out the word to, hey, I might like what to make one of those. But for the modern movie going audience, and sure. this is the early 1980s and E.T. came out in June of 82. That now became the gold standard for family-friendly films. So Eisner puts out the word, look, you know, I want a science-based gimmick comedy, but if it, if it has a soup song of E.T., you know, hey. A hint? A hint, <laughs> a, a, hint a, a hint of E.T. plagiarism? There you know, just go. A, I, 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 yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't complain. But not like an animal. You're going to do it tastefully. Yeah. <laughs> so this is when Flight of the Navigator, which, by the way, was directed by, by Randall Kleiser, who, who previously directed the original Grease for Michael when he was back at Paramount. The problem with Flight of the Navigator is it tries to be two things at the same time, a science-based gimmick comedy as well as a heartfelt, sincere science fiction adventure. So it wound up being a hard project to promote properly. Yeah, how are you selling it? Well, yeah. that's it exactly. Disney's marketing department didn't really know how to put this out there before it's released in August of 86. That said, Buena Vista Home Entertainment, uh, by the time Flight of the Navigator is being sent out into store shelves in January of seven, they know exactly how to promote this Randall Kleiser film. And it, it, it becomes a big solid seller to home video enthusiasts. So that convinces Michael that he's on the right track. There is actually a really so, so hold on for a second. So how does it do at the box office? I want to say it costs $9 million to make. It makes $18 million. On the other hand, when it goes to VHS, it sells millions of copies. How? You know, you got to remember, this is the age of the video store. Oh, right. Okay, so you didn't have that many options back in the 80s. Okay. You All know, right. it was okay. literally right. about, do you have a piece of box art cover that will catch people's attention? And, you know, they, oh, okay. they just put the kid on the cover flying a saucer, you know, flying saucer. And every kid in America was like, I want that, mom. All right, fair. But now Michael is convinced that there is actually a market out there for an updated version of these old science-based gimmick comedies. In fact, he's okay. so convinced that when the Wonderful World of Disney weekly television series re revived for the 1988-1989 television season on NBC, Michael orders that as part of this anthology series that Disney create an absent-minded professor TV show. Only this time around, it's Harry Anderson who's fresh off of his hit NBC show, Night Court. Oh. Yeah, he's playing the Fred McMurray role. That's funny you mentioned uh, Night Court because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Laurel and I are going through rewatching The Love Boat in mm -hmm. chronological order. Mm -hmm. And Marky Post has just made her debut in has season she really? six. Oh. Yeah, and we're trying to figure out, like, what else did Marky Post do besides this and Night Court? She did 30 Rock. Okay. <laughs> But besides that, <laughs> well, they, they did the night court reunion on that one, right? I mean, she was like the, the second or third stab at the female lead on, on that show. And she was the one that took. But anyway, at the same time, we got uh, Michael looking for theatrical science-based okay. comedy. And th it's oh, at okay. this point, Len, that the script for a film called Teeny Weenies lands on his desk. Now, next week. We're going to talk about how Disney gets into the honey business. More importantly, how Wayne Zielinski 
then becomes a theme park star. But before we finish up talking about uh, Flight and Navigator, it's important to note here that it was Paul Rubin's vocal performance as the alien intelligence that powered that craft in the Randall Kleiser movie that convinced the Imagineers he'd be the perfect guy to voice Rex, the pilot of our star speeder in the original version of Star Tours, which, again, became a very important movie as far as uh, theme park fans are concerned. Okay, so so Michael Eisner seeing teen comedies mm -hmm. eventually leads us to getting Paul Rubens voicing a character in Star Tours. It is, it's a strange world, Lynn. <laughs> it, this really is butterfly wings. There uh, we go. There we go. It, yeah, this is it. Thank you, Red Ray Bradbury. Um, one other note, though, as far back as 2009, Walt Disney Studios has been talking about either remaking Flight of Navigator are creating a bladed sequel. But in September of last year, it was announced that Bryce Dallas Howard, the Jurassic World star who has actually done an amazing job of directing individual episodes of The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett, she's been tapped to direct a remake of this Randall Kleiser film, which will now be built around a preteen female's adventures across space and time and will debut on Disney Plus in late 2023, early 2024. Ah, Jim, that's fantastic. So that's good to hear. So, uh, so everything uh, old is new again, is what I'm hearing. Oh God, yes. Well, again, we we started by talking about how Shrunk is bringing back the Honey I Shrunk franchise, and again, please get that back in front of the camera soon. Just you know, really want to see Josh Gad as Wayne Zelinsky's son getting back in the family business of accidentally shrinking people. So that's going to be hysterical, and I, I can't think of anyone else I would rather cast for that than Josh Gad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to that. All right, okay. so we're going to talk more about this on the next show? We are. We are. Fantastic. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. Uh, please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. Thanks to Christina for coming on. Uh, Christy, where can people find you? Um, at my house. Or... <laughs> <laughs> Don't come to my house. Um, I'm in the parks, what, five, six days a week, and I'm just the minion on our Instagram. So at Touring Plans on Instagram, on Twitter, on all the social medias, and you are what, at Crispy Lemons? Crispy TP? My email is Christina at Touring Plans, and I, you know, I don't really, I just, I just Twitter for us. I don't really there you go. do it's, much it's, you're, you're, uh, you're, uh, you're, you're subjugating the self for the, for the good of the whole. Full-time minion. That's awesome. That's fantastic. You can also find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be demonstrating his late Muromachi period saddle engraving designs and techniques as part of a new exhibit titled Master Leather Carving from North America and Japan, Design and Cultural Influences, on Friday, May 20th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Brinton Museum on Brinton Road in beautiful downtown Bighorn, Wyoming. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and radar show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.